You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I get sick of the bear market too. But you know, the last time I had to wait three years um, to get paid and it was a long time. And I took, in retrospect, I took a ton of risk. Um, but I do remind myself, hey man, like I, you've been here before and when you did get paid, it changed your life. And I, that's what I keep on going back to. And um, I think, I think, you know, honestly, the setup for this market might even be better than back in 2016 when I, I, I really did well in the market. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. This is uh, the week of Thanksgiving for us here in America. So um, a little slower week. But uh, an enjoyable week when we're we think about what we're thankful for. And my friend today joins me for a conversation, Brian Lenny of JuniorStockReview.com. And Brian, when it comes to what we learn investing in mining stocks, I was thinking about what were some of the early lessons that I learned back when I first bought a mining stock in uh, early uh, 2016, and what lesson did I learn that helped me, you know, avoid losing money and hopefully making money uh, later on. And I think it was in 2016. I learned uh, what a bull market was, having positions go tenfold in, in six months. But then after I experienced that, I assumed that the price of silver, because I invested in silver miners, would go higher and higher and higher endlessly, even though my wife kept asking me, Bill, are you sure? How about you just sell? You're up so much. Why don't you just sell? And I said, no, honey, I'm going to sell this other investment we have and put it in mining stocks, which I did. And in about three or four months after August of 2016, after putting more money into mining stocks, I lost 60% of uh, that, that investment money that I put into mining stocks after having my initial investment go tenfold. So in one year, I experienced a bull market, I experienced confusing a bull market with brains. And then I experienced the intense pain of losing a lot of money quickly all in one year, which helped me be more cautious going forward. So I'm thankful for that experience. When you look back over your early investing career in the, the resource sector, uh, what are some lessons that you're thankful for? And thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few lessons. Uh, you know, hearing what you just said, you know, that's definitely something that I can say that I had to learn the hard way too. Uh, speculating on metal prices is extremely hard to do. And, you know, even the best commodities traders out there hedge their bets, meaning they're not even fully confident that they know the direction of the metal price over a dur any duration of time. And therefore, um, you know, how could a retail investor, you know, such as myself or anybody really think that they're going to have enough information to to know where the metal price is headed, especially in short durations of time. And for me, the the great example is with zinc. And uh, I I had done all my research, and you know, at the time, I thought I knew the market fairly well, and I made a couple bets, and uh, it started started actually was going very well. And uh, another thing I did was I spread my money out probably too thin, meaning I bought three or four zinc companies and uh, thought that the zinc price was going to go up and stay at $2 a pound. And it ended up being a big mistake for me. <laughs> and I, there, I think I made money on one of the companies and I actually lost on the other three. And I think I think in, in the end, it probably is a wash, like I broke even, uh, which I was very lucky to do. <laughs> and I think the bottom line there is that I, it reinforced to me what a mentor had told me, uh, that you speculating in, in purely metals or buying junior companies purely based off of bullish theses on metal prices. 
is usually going to lead to losses. And uh, from that point on, I sort of drifted away from that. And that doesn't mean I don't look at the metals markets and try to come up with a view on it. I do. Uh, but I know that investing in a, in a junior resource company comes with a plethora of other risks, and uh, including the metal price. And they can lose your money in multiple different ways. And so you need to separate the two. Know one know, and know why you're investing in that resource company based off the fundamentals of that company. Uh, one of the other things I think, and it's something I've harped on, you know, I've done a number of presentations over the last four months. And again, it's something that I realize more and more with my life is the need for self-awareness, you know, to understand what your knowledge level is, uh, what exactly you're looking for in your investment, whether that's duration or risk level. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of investors don't understand risk. You know, they you hear your or you fall in love with an exploration story. It's very sexy. Um, the upside potential can be, you know, blue sky, as they say. And you put your money in, but you don't realize how much risk you're actually taking. And unfortunately, with most of these companies, you're going to end up losing. And, you know, I had to learn it the hard way. You had to, I had to lose some money in exploration before I understood this. And, uh, and again, I think that's unfortunately going to happen with a lot of the market. And so you just have to be cognizant of these small little things. And that self-awareness is broad based, you know, across the sector and across investor and maybe even life. And, uh, I, if, if I were, an, especially a brand new investor in the sector, Taking a look at it myself is where I would start with everything and then kind of branch off that. And then you can retool it as you learn. When I first invested in junior mining stocks, I purely looked at the silver miners as leveraged plays on the underlying commodity. And what you're describing here is that's not how you look at it, is it? You look at no. you're buying a company, you're not buying a leveraged well, play on a commodity's rise. It is. It is. Well, it is and it isn't. Um, I just, I understand that, you know, there's other ways that the company can lose your money. So it is leverage on the metal price. You're absolutely right. But the other side to it is <laughs> they can lose you money in other ways. You can have problems with the jurisdiction. Um, as the company is developing that deposit, you know, they can have problems with metallurgy. Now you can go discover those ounces, but if you can't extract them out of the ground, you know, this is a big problem. Um, and I think, again, that's another one that retail investors don't pay enough attention to is the, the metallurgical or mineral processing side of things. Um, it's a big part. And, you know, especially you get into some of the polymetallic deposits and silver is a great example. You know, silver is found as a component of a lot of VMS deposits, which are polymetallic. And uh, if they can't, or if the extraction portion of the silver um, is quite low and the lead in the zinc is much higher, then really what you've bought is a lead zinc deposit and you've got leverage to the lead and zinc price and not so much silver. In silver so, equivalent ounces though, Brian, silver yeah. equivalent ounces. <laughs> well, that's, and the equivalent ounces is like, again, these are great, like first level thinking uh, type of numbers or factors. Uh, but really what you have to dig in and get to those second level or third level factors to really look at what you're buying. And of course the company is going to market it, you know, from their resource, you know, in the resource, most of the resources you're going to see in there don't include recoveries. Um, and so they might have a hundred million ounces of silver, but if they can only recover 50% of it, which could be fairly realistic for a VMS deposit, then maybe it isn't as, you know, sexy as you may think, or maybe it doesn't have the leverage that you think it has to silver. So again, these are things you just have to look at. And there's nothing wrong with buying a leveraged zinc or lead play, <laughs> you know, in the right market, if you get a good deposit, they, these things can make sense. Um, but it may not be, you may not be buying what you think you're buying. And that's, that's more of the point that I would, I would want to make is that, you know, there is some more thinking you have to do besides just glossing over the resource table. So all ounces in the ground are not created equal, right? 
And no, absolutely not. And that's, you know, you get to these generic, uh, again, it gets into the market, marketing, uh, but you get these generic thing or factors that are listed like EV per ounce. So two things there, you know, EV is enterprise value, and this is the market cap minus the cash. Junior companies that don't have inflows of cash, I find EV a very puzzling thing to look at uh, because they're burning that cash. And so it's just a duration of time uh, before that EV means absolutely nothing. So, you know, companies can have large cash positions and of course their market cap or their EV looks appealing. But if these guys are doing their work, you know, that EV is going to be changing every month, every quarter. And so it, it just degrades. So again, uh, you know, EV per ounce doesn't really make any sense. And then the other the other side to it is, is those ounces in the ground, like you said, uh, metallurgy and mineral processing, if those ounces aren't recoverable, uh, or maybe some of those ounces have a high cash cost uh, in, in removing them. And so you need higher metal prices to account for that. Um, so you can have first quartile, ounces, like 100 million ounces in first quartile, which probably has uh, a possibility of being built or uh, acquired this cycle. Whereas those marginal deposits, you know, may have an appeal because they're marginal. And, you know, the whole marketing side on that is that, you know, they're going to have uh, more leverage on the price because it uh, $100 price and movement in the gold price means that much more to a marginal deposit than it does to a very good first quartile deposit. Okay. But again, you know, the odds of these being bought or anything real happening to them is just not there. Uh, the other side to it is jurisdictional risk. So does uh, a million ounces in uh, El Salvador mean the same thing to you as a, as a million ounces in Nevada? Well, to me, it doesn't, but maybe to you, it does. So again, these are things that can, that questions you need to ask and look at before just looking at the generics or the first level thinking on, on some of these tables and the ounces in the ground are more marketing based than they are analyst based. Brian, everything you brought up there is so great. And that's good segue for an email I received yesterday. Every week I get about probably two to eight emails requesting an interview for the show. And yesterday I got an email from a company that offered to pay me in uranium to do the, the the interview. So normally I don't even pay attention to the emails, but this one I'm like, pay me in uranium via an <laughs> NFT that's backed by physical uranium. So I'm like, this is, what is this thing? So I, I look more into it and it's an NFT, non-fungible token. So they're tokenizing or creating an electronic ownership of uranium in the ground. So then I looked more into it and they're tokenizing uranium in a country uh, across the ocean, across the Atlantic from, from where I am with no feasibility study, no permit to extract it, no known economics, none of this. And they're just selling it as one token equals one pound in the ground. Now with everything you just said, you understand that there could be next to zero value for the uranium in the ground, but then they're gonna mass market this and say, look, if you buy this token, you're getting uranium in the ground, you're getting exposure to the uranium bull market. Uh, your thoughts here? Uh, run. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it, that's exceptionally scary. And uh, I think it should pose a lot of questions to investors that hear that type of pitch. Um, just for all those reasons we kind of discussed uh, in your line of questioning, you know, there's a lot of things that come up and you know, to me, it would be, I, I don't want to hear any more. This is, you know, crazy. Um, but I think for these guys, I would hope that they have more trouble uh, raising money or finding buyers, considering all the stuff that's happened in the crypto market and 
you know, over the last FTX and the losses that some investors have encountered. Hopefully that the sale is is much harder just based on those losses that people have had associated with, you know, these semi-tech companies. Um, for the resource investors, uh, you know, again, these are something that you need to you may not recognize when you first hear it, but again, you start asking yourself, well, what's the confidence level in these ounces in the ground? Um, how much can actually be extracted? It might be a, a 9 million pound deposit of uranium, but how much of it can you actually extract if you were to extract it? It's probably not 9 million pounds. <laughs> There's very, I don't think I've ever heard of 100% extraction. Um, and so, you know, if they're giving you a dollar per pound in the ground, it, you know, there's some people where, you know, that pound doesn't really even exist. Um, the other side to it is the confidence level. Now, uranium's a little bit different. Like these aren't like a vein, gold vein deposit where, the a difference between an inferred resource and a proven improbable resource is huge, um, but it still does make a, a difference. So the difference between uh, an inferred and a measured and indicated uh, is something that you would put more confidence or value in. Um, and you'd want to ask the company, like, where is where is the 43101 on these ounces or pounds in the ground? Um, so many questions, <laughs> you know, but I think bottom line, this is something that investors want to run run to the hills for. And, you know, it, it pushes, you know, I like I look at the trusts that are out there and the other ways that you can buy physical metals. You know, one of my things that I've said, if you're bullish on the metal, buy the metal. And the trusts are seemingly the probably the safest way that you can do that through the stock market. The physical and trusts. I, right. Yeah. yeah. The physical trusts. And I think you know, the broker of those trusts is also, they've got a lot to lose. And, you know, the one that comes to mind is Sprott. Uh, to me, they're a trusted name and I've bought the Sprott trusts and uh, they've got a lot to lose by anything, doing anything shady. And uh, and because I would have confidence in that name and who they are, um, that brings a lot more, you know, confidence in buying that product. Whereas this, this other NFT, you know, who are these guys, you know, come out of nowhere to form this trust. So yeah, a lot of question marks and I hope investors are more discerning when it comes to looking at pitches like this. I, I have to read you this from uh, their description of it. Uh, they said, uh, when you own this NFT, you as the owner are entitled to the exclusive rights of owning that physical asset, which in this case is uranium, including the right to sell, trade or redeem. And then it goes on, how do I redeem my uranium? By regulation, the general public is allowed to order these materials without possessing a radioactive materials license. However, taking physical redemption of uranium is not allowed without possessing a radioactive materials license. So to redeem <laughs> so my- order it. Yeah. And to, all I have to do to redeem it. my uh, NFT here is just fly across the Atlantic with some shovels and picks <laughs> and, you know- Go out into the middle of nowhere and start digging up my uranium. That's all I have to do to redeem it here. Sounds sounds great, huh? <laughs> it's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. So if you're not investing in... Uh, well, one more question, Brian, before we leave this topic. Uh, do you think that there's any legitimacy to using blockchain to forward sell a, a future mined commodity as a means of financing an extractive company. Is there any legitimacy to this model, even as we're kind of poking fun at it here? Could it morph into something reputable? I think so. Um, I, I, that, like when I first read it, I, I didn't think it was the concept is crazy. Uh, but like I said, it comes more to the reputability of the deposit and the person that's, that's extracting it or kind of running the business. Um, I think that if the right companies started to do something like that, you could probably, it'd be an interesting way to fundraise or finance a company th through that 
mode. Um, it's sort of like a public a public stream almost, um, if you think about it. And and so I think in the future that that maybe there there is something there. But again, it comes with a lot of question marks, and it comes with a lot of things that um, need to be in place to be investable, from my point of view. And, uh, and but it, it's an interesting concept, and it's probably where part of the market is at least headed. Like stuff is digitizing, and uh, and and they're looking for other sources of cash from the regular banks and institutions and stuff like that. So maybe there is an avenue here. It's definitely not what this company is showing, <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe there is something there, you know, in the future. And from the investor standpoint, I think this is why we're having this conversation. For those that don't understand mining, you're not just buying a community uh, commodity futures contract you're you're basically giving your money in exchange for a ton of risk and a ton of unknowns and that's the key point that i want to communicate uh, through this discussion brian where are you putting your money if you're not putting it in a uranium nft where (laughs) you don't have to give a name but just maybe kind of a profile of where you're finding value in the sector Sure. Well, that it comes actually at a good time because uh, you know, 2021 was a tough year um for the the entire market. And then going into 2022, one of the things that I noticed is that besides new discoveries, uh, the market really wasn't giving any recognition to almost anything else. Most of the news that come that would come out from a let's say a developer or maybe a producer to a certain extent, um, was treated as a liquidity event, meaning people took it an opportunity as to take cash. Um, off the table. And that, you know, it makes sense to a certain extent, you know, the market was kind of falling apart and people are scared and this is sort of the natural thing. And so really over the last 10 months, I've, I haven't done, I had no new picks in the newsletter. Um, and uh, I, I was really just playing around with, with adding and subtracting from positions I already had. But recently, uh, I added two positions uh, to the portfolio, and they were for specific reasons. Uh, for one, one of the companies, it's actually, I went back to a company that I invested in in 2020 and made quite a bit of money off of. And to me, this company has only gotten better over the last year and a half. We actually sold them last summer, and they've only gotten better. And you know, they got their initial permitting, and they've got their feasibility study in place. And you know, they're they're right in that sweet spot of financing and construction, and they have to get the final environmental permit. I know the management team exceptionally well. Um, I toured their properties. Um, and so when they, when they, their share price went down to a point where I thought it was ridiculously cheap, that prompted me to, to buy it. And I'm not as concerned about tax loss selling just because this latest um, selling spree that I bought on this 10% drop in their share price. I think that is the bulk of the selling that we're going to see. And so I bought it. Uh, second, the the second company that I bought, and it was actually just yesterday, um, this company has got what I would consider an X factor. So, you know, I, there's a lot of companies that I follow in my watch list and they're, they're value-based, right? Like I see value in the company, they're selling for a discount to their underlying value. But this X factor is a reason why I think the share price is going to go up, most likely in the short term, um, that separates it from uh, other companies. And it's linked to a new discovery. And I won't go into total detail, but to me, it's that X factor that prompted me to buy it. If they didn't have that X factor and they were kind of lumped in the same pie as a number of other companies, I probably would still be just sitting on the cash. 
But some drill results came out and I said, you know what? That is something that could prompt that share price to move despite of everything else in the market. And best of all, it's based off with an underlying value proposition that says, hey, you know what? Even if the expiration doesn't go where I think it's it's headed, I still have value there. And I don't think the downside risk is is that much. Like I think the, the market is going to value the company for what it's currently selling at. And so that prompted me to buy that. So for me, you know, I'm looking at, you know, companies that are extremely discounted or companies that are discounted with that sort of X factor, something that separates it from those other developers or producers, that's going to, that says the potential to capture that market's attention and rec- have that value recognized, hopefully in the shorter term. Uh, but, you know, these things all come with risk. And uh, we'll see how this last part of the year goes in terms of tax loss selling, whether, you know, what we saw in August and over the last couple of months, whether that's the bulk of the selling or if we're still in for a fun two first two weeks of December, you know, we'll see. For what it's worth, I've had a couple of conversations in the last week with people in close contact with smart money, including people who manage hundreds of millions of dollars. And what I was told is that they are expecting a full pivot. Uh, six to nine months, basically, is when they expect a full pivot by the Fed, which then we expect, we expect we'll send gold higher, right? <laughs> if they turn dovish, we expect gold to go higher if inflation still needs to be dealt with, but uh, we'll see. Well, you know what, Bill, like, it's it's quite interesting. So I, I've, I've attended a number of conferences over the last, like since PDAC, really, like I, I did Metals Investors Forum at PDAC, did another Metals Investors Forum. Um, There's another smaller conference I attended than Red Cloud a couple of weeks ago. The amount of people that have sort of capitulated on the gold or the precious metals market, um, it kind of brought a smile to my face. <laughs> and, you know, to, to me, I guess, I don't know, it's just maybe the way that I think, like, to me, it's uh, so clear why precious metals are important in a portfolio and why they're so important to the world, um, because they are the only real money. And to hear people, you know, giving up and a couple of guys came right up to me and one was definitely a reader, uh, but they said, hey, you know what, you know, gold's done, man you know, you should, you should walk away. Copper is the new thing. And I'm not saying anything bad about copper. I like copper too. Uh, but to me that really said, Hey, you know what, this actually might be the bottom, you know, when, when, and it like, even, even a friend who I was talking sort of negatively or questioning the thesis in gold. And I thought, Hey, you know, that really is maybe a sign uh, that we've reached that bottom in the precious metals market and uh, definitely fed into why I was more uh, apt to deploy some of that cash I had left. Um, because if we're not at the bottom, we got to be pretty near. And just like considering everything that's going on in the world, um, I think precious metals, you know, have a bright future. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's just a few comments on, on the, the gold particular. Brian, I admit to going days without looking at the gold price at times because I'm not a trader. Um, Especially in a bear market, that's just one of the ways you just don't think about it. And I talked to some other experienced people too. And they're like, yeah, I just go outside and work. And I said, that's what I did. I said, I bought a tractor. I just go outside and work, cut a log down, move a tree or whatever. And you just don't think about it every day. I don't know how some of these traders can watch the gold price like for whatever, 18 months and just get frustrated with it. Uh, I just just put put it aside, you know? But don't forget though, like it's a different mentality, right? And so you you know yourself and how you invest. And that's and it doesn't surprise me because I'm sort of the same way that I, I don't get how people do it either. But but consider this that so do flip your your mentality into their position. 
they can make money when it's going up and making down if you're a trader, right? And your duration of holding it for some people is a day or even shorter. And I think if you change your outlook and kind of take their side of things, I think you can see it easier. But the, you know what the problem becomes? I think for most people, you can't hold the duality in your head. And you can't, <laughs> most people can't be a trader and be like a long term investor, right? And this is the problem. Like, I think a lot of retail investors will listen to us or listen to somebody, a podcast, and they're like, hey, that sounds like a good investment. The only problem is it doesn't align with how they actually operate. And this is a big problem because whether it's risk or duration of investment or a number of different factors, if it doesn't fit you, it's probably going to end up in a loss because one, you probably didn't know anything about the company. Second, it took too long or it was too quick of a trade, you know? And so if it doesn't fit you, then there's no way it's, or there's very little probability that. That it's going to work out. So I think I think you need to be really cognizant of how you're investing, who you're listening to, and how it fits into how you see the market and operate. And if you do, if you're going to align all those things, and it's not always going to work out, but if you do do that, I, I guarantee you'll be more successful. Great point. And no denigration to you traders out there. Uh, nothing, nothing ill intended whatsoever. But it's just that when you think gold should be going up incessantly, yeah. and it never does for two years, it it becomes frustrated. And I've seen that wear right. on people. <laughs> I, I hear you. No, okay. I hear it. Well, it does. I get I get sick of the bear market too. But you know, the last time I had to wait three years um, to get paid. And it was a long time. And I took, in retrospect, I took a ton of risk. Um, but I do remind myself, Hey man, like I, you've been here before. And when you did get paid, it changed your life. And I, that's what I keep on going back to. And, um, I think, I think, you know, honestly, the setup for this market might even be better than back in 2016 when I, I, I really did well in the market, just considering what's going on in the world. And, and unfortunately where the gold price might have to go, um, to, sort of level things off. So, you know, who knows when it's going to happen, but I think we're getting closer to that turn. So, and for those that don't know Brian's story, what he just referenced, he sold his house, took the equity, tripled his money in junior mining stocks and was able to quit his job as an engineer. And he's been a full-time junior mining speculator ever since. Brian, did I get that right? You did. You did. Yeah. And you're, yeah, that was 2013 to 2016. And all I did was see the portfolio go down. <laughs> And it's, it's especially at that point in my life, like it wasn't the best feeling at all. Um, but I did stick it out and it, it ended up being very good for me. And, uh, like I said, I think this opportunity now is, is probably better than that. And, uh, I'm not going to say I'm going to triple my portfolio because that would be huge. And I don't know if what that actually means <laughs> if, if the gold price goes up that much, um, the rest of life might be kind of hairy. And, uh, so I, I, I kind of hope it, we don't see too high of a gold price, but you know, well over $2,000, like 2,200 would be fantastic. So <laughs> well said. And Brian writes a letter. You can find more about that at juniorstockreview.com. Brian, always appreciate your insights. I've learned a lot from you over the years. So thank you for joining me on today's show. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks.
The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks, don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can, do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.